The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Let me start with a quote um, from a guy called Oskinus. Oh, before I do, a um, bit of a, a book review. Uh, a lot of uh, my inspiration uh, for the stuff we're going to be talking about comes from this book. It's a very small book. It's called Be Still, uh, My Soul, um, edited by Nancy Guthrie. And it's a collection of essays from all different people on the theme of suffering. Um, there's some modern uh, writers, some classical Christian writers. Um, excellent book. Um, if you want something a bit more uh, challenging, intellectual, uh, robust, academically and theologically, then this is the one to go to, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Timothy Keller. Um, yeah, really, really good. Um, I don't have it here with me, but um, Don Carson, if you want the next level of really intellectual stimulation. Uh, Don Carson wrote a book, I think it's called How Long, Lord, or something like that, which is also on the theme of suffering if you want to really dive do a deep dive into this stuff. Um, let's start with Os Guinness. He said this, Suffering is the most acute trial that faith can face. And the questions it raises are the sharpest, the most insistent, and the most damaging that faith will meet. Can faith bear the pain and still trust God? Suspending judgment and resting in the knowledge that God is there, God is good, and God knows best. And that's profound. And that's summarizing, really, our, our whole series and where we want to go. Uh, it's, it's very topical, actually, that we're doing this series right now. I don't know. Um, those of you who know me know I'm a bit of a Marvel nerd, just like Katie's. Not as much as my son, but anyway, I, I love Marvel movies. The most recent one, Thor, Love and Thunder, introduces us into this world of our cultures thinking about suffering and God profound if you go see it um, the movie begins with this theme of a father wrestling with pain and not being able to make sense of it and, and thinking that his God will help him and then he has an encounter with his God and is dismally disappointed by that God's response so angry and embittered by his reaction his interaction with his God he sets out on a journey to destroy every God of every known people group. Um, really, really profound. And I won't ruin the ending, but it is an interesting insight into our cultures thinking about God, suffering, love, all of these big themes. Um, it, it, we're in really, really difficult territory here. Um, actually, um, can, I, can you grab me a music stand so I can have a lower thing because it's a bit too high? Um, so I, I come to this whole series very, very humbly. Uh, there's so much ground to cover, and I don't think we'll cover it all, but we're going to do our best. I've kind of, there's so many different approaches we can take with all of this. Thank you. Um, and I've decided to take the shotgun approach to try and cover as, as much ground as we can in five weeks, but it might dissatisfy some of you who want to go really deep into something. Uh, I just made a call on, on trying to cover as much as we can. 
Um, and I want to kind of reframe our thinking on this topic by saying uh, I want to focus more on pain. Because the moment you say suffering, I'm sure many of you are thinking, that's not me. I haven't really suffered. I mean, I, we just watched IJM, right? You think you're watching that video going, oh, they're suffering. I'm not suffering, really. Um, so I want to kind of reframe our thinking on that and call it, let's talk about pain. Let's talk about disappointment. Let's talk about grief, loss. These are things that we've all faced. If you've ever sat there thinking, this is not how I imagined my life would turn out. This is not how I thought I would be living out this season of my life. Then this series is for you. Don't sit there thinking, well, I haven't had cancer. I haven't lost a child. I haven't had those really bad things happen to me. But you've been in pain. You've faced these real things. And, and I'm talking to you. We're, we're talking to you. You know, as a pastor, we, we've sat with lots of couples doing their prepare before they get married and, and walking with people through their marriage journey. And yeah, marriages can face some really, really hard and difficult things. Infidelity, uh, the, the death of a spouse, obviously is a massive thing. The, the loss of a child, all of those really big things. But you know the things that couples often find difficult to, most difficult to deal with is the little daily annoyances over a long period of time that just drive them insane. And often our pain and our relationship with God is like that. The big stuff, yeah, it's hard and we have to kind of really wrestle and deal with a cancer diagnosis or the death of a loved one or whatever it is. But if we don't deal with the little pains, the little disappointments, the little hurts along the way, over a long period of time, can breed bitterness in our heart against God. And so that's why I'm talking to you who might be sitting there going, I haven't suffered, but I've experienced pain. I've experienced disappointment and grief and loss. You're in good company. I want to do it differently. You know, um, Those of you who've been at PCC know that I have a particular style of preaching. It's, it's kind of very linear, very Western, very logical, very... I don't know, however you want to describe it. But in this series, I, I want to kind of come at it differently. Uh, Anuj and I were talking about the approach we want to take uh, in this series. And we felt that the best way we want to do is to enter into it through stories, which is kind of more Eastern. It's not linear, it's a bit circular. So you, some of you who are very logical and linear might find this series a little bit frustrating because it, it will circle back sometimes to the same things over and over again in different ways, but hopefully as we go around the circle again and again, it'll get deeper and deeper. Um, some of it will be kind of familiar. You go, yeah, I know that. I've read that. I know that story. And, and you'll find that frustrating going, I came here expecting answers, profound things, and things that will fix my problem and help me sort out my life. And, and all I got was things that I already know. I'm I'm sorry. The Bible is what it is. It says what it does. And maybe as we come at it with a different perspective, through a different lens, we might walk away with different insights. Um, I'm not going to be able to cover everything and answer every question, obviously, on this topic. And uh, wrestle. I'm not so much going to wrestle with the, the theological tension around how we can understand God's place in the world in light of evil. Uh, I've kind of engaged with that in one of my previous sermons, and that alone will just take us a whole lot of time. I, I want this series to be helpful and encouraging to people who are going through difficult things. And um, 
and there'll be stuff that will, might poke at wounds in our hearts that will be raw and, and emotional and difficult. And I want to say, if that is the case, at the end of every sermon, we'll have our prayer team here to just debrief with you, to minister to you, to pray with you. And we don't want to have you leave here get worse than when you came. And uh, again, yes, uh, dealing with some of this stuff is, is heavy and is hard, but I, I don't want to focus on the dark. I want to focus on the light. I want to focus on God in the space of pain and suffering. That when we live here, we have a, a bigger appreciation and an understanding for the God that we love and worship. And so I hope that at, at, at the end of every sermon that you will walk away a little bit lighter, a little bit more encouraged, a little bit more affirmed in your faith in the great God that has expressed himself in Jesus ultimately. And so um, that's kind of the journey, uh, uh, the way we're going to be anchoring uh, different weeks are around a central question. Um, so this week we're going to engage with the why question. Um, next week we'll talk about um, the, the what question and the week after the how question, the week after that the who question, and the last week will be the when question. And you'll understand more what those questions mean and how we are going to approach them. But it'll be centered and anchored around uh, one central question, hopefully, in each week. So that's kind of where we're heading. Our series title is Through the Fire, and it's uh, based on two scriptures. One is Isaiah 43, verse 2b. You're probably familiar with this one. Um, when you walk, notice it's when you walk, not if you walk, but when you walk. Through the fire, you will not be burned. And some of you have walked through fires and been burnt, and you're going, well, hang on, what does that mean? It means ultimately. It means in the end of it all, you, you will not be burned. Why? Because God is with us. That's the essence. You, you, the, the flames will not set you ablaze. And it's also anchored in Daniel based on the song, a little bit the song that we sang today, Through the Fire, of these amazing faithful followers of God who said, you know, when they're facing the reality of a, 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 a blazing furnace, who said to the king, this is so profound. We believe that our God can rescue us. We believe God can heal us from cancer. We believe that God can do whatever, restore our broken marriage, uh, get me out of this really horrible situation. We believe, but even if he doesn't, we're going to remain faithful to him. That's the essence of where we want to get to through this series. I'm not here to promise you that God will come to the rescue of every circumstance and situation and problem you go through. I'm not here to tell you even how God is going to turn up, if he'll turn up, when he'll turn I'm hoping that as we journey, what you will have as a certainty is that God is there, that he is good, and that he's with you, whether you feel it or not. That's kind of where we're going. And part of the way we're going to approach this series is through hearing people's stories and, and talking to people about their real lived experience. So this morning, I've got the privilege of talking to Susan. So if you want to join me up here, Susan. Yeah, I, was, I, I forgot to bring my box of tissues up here too. All right. So... Will you tell us a little bit about your experience of pain? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, look, um, it was funny. Um, I spoke to the youth group on Friday night and I told them they got the, the preview of, of this because I was asked some similar, similar questions, so it was, had a bit of a warm-up. 
Um, yeah, look, probably my, my biggest experience with um, pain and, and questioning God's goodness um, has been in relation to my singleness. Um, so I think it, particularly in the period of my 20s and early 30s, um, where that was quite a, a big desire of mine to get married, to have kids and, and not having that. Um, and going going through those questions of why and and when or you know will it happen why isn't it happening um, yeah that's that's probably been my biggest experience of of, of a season of pain and and struggle so tell us a little bit about what your experience of God was in those moments as you wrestle with some of those things yeah so I think um yeah, I don't think that there was a like a particularly significant encounter as such. I think it has been it was a very incremental and bit of a slow burn um, throughout that process. Um, and I think at the time, I, I don't think I saw or recognised um, growth or process or progress. And I think that that was part of the frustration of just feeling like I was circling around this mountain just over and over again. Oh, here we go. Just get some of these out. Um, yeah, and just just feeling so frustrated. Um, yeah, and 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 not feeling not feeling God. Um, I think going back to that quote that you had right from the start. Um, one of the biggest challenges was really um, not trusting in God's goodness. Um, I really grappled with, really grappled with feeling like God was being cruel because I felt like he had placed a desire in my heart and wasn't fulfilling it and I thought that that was really cruel and so it was really hard to trust in God's goodness when you weren't experiencing it. Um... And not only not experiencing it, but seeing what felt like to be everyone around you experiencing it. Um, and so, again, going back to that quote of, um, yeah, not um, not letting you have that sense of, of judgment and resentment towards God and towards other people. Um, so, yeah, I think at, at times I don't think I did really experience God. And it took me a long time, I think, to... Um, have my experience catch up to the truth Um, and yeah it was a long process of you know okay I I know you're good or your word says that you're good but I'm not feeling that Um, and and just kind of I guess working through that Um, yeah so as I said like it wasn't certainly wasn't like a profound defining moment it was very much that sort of gradual and like I'm talking over a period of you know 10 plus years um of of yeah just that sort of gradual daily grind um walking through it yeah Yeah, thank you Susan um tell us a little bit about in that period of 10 years and even even still today how do you meet with God in those places? How does God come to you? And how has God ministered to you and met you over that period? Um, yeah, I think, I think part, of, um, part of that process, I think, 
was just making sure like you're turning up. And so I think it was really important that through that journey of, um, you know, continuing to come to church, continuing to go to Connect Group, trying as best as you can to kind of maintain some your prayer life and, and reading God's word. And um, again, yeah, I guess um, allowing yourself time for, yeah, the, the truth of God's character and the truth of who he is to... Um, yeah, to have that revelation of that. Um, yeah, sorry, can you ask the question again? That was, How did you encounter God in yeah. different ways? How did God come to you in yeah, that in okay. time? Yeah, um, okay. I think, I think a big part of that too was um, like being a part of a community of believers and, and having people who I could be completely raw and honest with and really share those struggles um, and having people who, yeah, like, loved you and supported you through that. Um, that was a huge, I think, part of God working through other people and, and working through, um, yeah, um, a connect group um, community. Um, and I think as a bit of a sort of public service announcement as well, I think our, our natural inclination when we've got friends and family who are going through those struggles is that we want to give them the answers. We want to give them the hallmark, you know, tagline, the, the what, sorry? Cliche. The cliches and, and that kind of thing. Um, and as well intended as they can be, they can actually come across as being quite condescending. Um, I remember a particular time where we were having a connect group catch up and yeah, I was, I was, pouring my heart out. It was, in, it was in the lead up to my 30th birthday because even though I had intentionally never sort of had a, I want to be married at X age, 30 was still kind of that, um, yeah, yep. that milestone. Um, and so it was in the lead, it was the year of like when I was 29 and, and you know, it was clearly not going to, I was clearly not going <laughs> to get married before I was 30 and just, yeah, pouring my heart out, um, to, to my, my connect group and, um, while one of the girls, as I said, very well intended, just, yeah, giving these things, I was just like, just shut up. Just, like, I have heard, I have grown up in, in church. I have heard all of the, the Christian cliches. I don't want to hear it. It's not going to help. And it didn't help. Just shut up. Just shut up and listen. Um, and I think I think sometimes that yeah, for us that that we need to just shut up mm. <laughs> and just listen to people. Mm. And and I was so so grateful to have other friends who who did who just listened, mm. who just loved me, and were were um, practical in their love as well, not just saying tokenistic things. Um, who would include me in there? in their family gatherings who would give me a sense of belonging. Um, that was a huge, I think, a huge part because I think one of the challenges of singleness is it can be quite lonely and it can be quite isolating. Um, so having people who, yeah, were that that practical, um, yeah, practical help in that where they, yeah, they did embrace you that, um, you won't treat it any differently because of, of your singleness. That I certainly saw God um, mm. at work in that, and and seeing, um, yeah, seeing a community of believers become my own family, even That's if right. I didn't have a biological one of my mm. own. Um, yeah, mm. yeah. That's, That's wonderful. Great. Last question: How 
looking back now on that journey, uh, how, as you've reflected on that, how, how can you see ways that you've grown um, mm. as a person in your understanding of God, in, in your relationship with Him? Yeah, yep. tell us a bit about that. I think, yeah, so I think part of the struggle of going through that was um, really losing my joy and my contentment and my peace. Um, and yeah, at times really, as I said, becoming quite um, bitter and resentful towards God, towards others. Um, and I think part of that too was I had had a really wrong thinking about marriage. I think part of my struggle was I had kind of bought into the idea that um, marriage was like a meritocracy, that like you, you, it was a reward for right living. And so if you weren't given that reward, well, then that was a bit of a slap in the face of, well, you've done something wrong that you haven't earned the, the right, you haven't earned that blessing. And so I think um, that's been part of my journey of just having a better thinking and understanding of... Um, you know, what marriage is or what any other season yeah, of life is. And, singleness and is... That's right. Mm. Um, yeah, that singleness is not a punishment or yeah. it's not a withholding yes. of, of something else that's that, that um, I've been able to, yeah, really recognise all of the, the mm. blessings of that. Oh, here's another public service announcement <laughs> as well. If a single person, like, is struggling, do not, under any circumstances... Oh, but singleness is a gift. <laughs> Don't do it. Do not do it. I tell you what, and if you're, if you're in a relationship as well, hell no are you doing that. I can see a lot of single people nodding their heads. Yeah. Um, but actually coming to, to the understanding of, yeah, that, that singleness can be a gift and can mm. be a blessing in its own right. And, and actually, um, yeah, so I, I think part of my journey was... Because I, again, feeling like I was just circling around this mountain of like, how do I get off this mountain? Mm. Was actually um, intentionally focusing on not just the one or two things that I didn't have, but actually starting yeah, to wow. shift my focus on all mm. of the things that I did have. Wonderful. To the point where every night before I went to bed, would just run through and, Lord, I thank you for this, yeah, and wow. I thank you for this, right. and you know, I thank you for the ability that I've had to travel, and I mm. thank you for you know, the job security that I've got and the financial security that mm. comes with it, and just being able to rattle off and list off, and that just was so powerful mm. in shifting my perspective of realising, wow, mm. I really do have a lot to be thankful That's for, and, and really able to see as well the, the blessings particularly attached to that singleness, as I said, like if I had have gotten married and had, had kids, I wouldn't have been able to do the incredible travel that, that I've experienced or had um, freedom to sleep in on a Saturday morning. <laughs> or um, For those of you that know me, sleeping in on a Saturday morning is, a, big is a big thing. A big um, you know, just those little things, recognising um, the, the things that I have been able to do as a single person um, that that I, I wouldn't have been able to do with that. Mm. So that, I think, was a really big part of that journey and that growth. Um, and I think, yeah, again, sort of, um, yeah, seeing, seeing God's goodness and going through that period where you're not necessarily feeling God's goodness and you're doubting mm. his character, um, coming through the other end where you, you really can look back in mm. retrospect and, and really acknowledge God's goodness and, and see that. And I think that that has really helped with future challenges or, you know, current mm. and future yeah. challenges where you can go, okay, I've 
I've been, been through, through this. I've yeah. been through this valley before. Mm. I, I know what this feels like, but I know that God's good. Yeah. Um, that he's good in spite of my mm. circumstances. That it's my situation isn't doesn't define who God yeah, is. Um, so I think that that has been a really, um, yeah, a big sort of growing, mm. growing experience <coughs> with that. Um, I think another part that um, had been really helpful is um, just being real, mm. um, being real with God. He already knows how we feel anyway, yeah. um, but just having that freedom um, and I think that that's where you've got a difference between a relationship and religion is where, yeah, you can just be brutally honest mm. um, and just pour out your heart before God mm. and, and trust that he listens and that he's compassionate mm. and that he's not judging us um, yeah. for that. Um, and as I said as well, I've alluded to before, of, of just being able to be real with a community of mm. believers as well and um, in a space where you don't feel judged, you're not feeling condemned. Um, yeah, that, that was such an important part of that process um, mm. that people who, yeah, listen and, and care for you in the midst of those, of those struggles. Um, and as I said as well, just, yeah, staying the course, even though there were times where, like, I didn't want to come to church or I didn't want to um, go to Connect Group, particularly when I felt like I was the only one being real with the struggles that I was having of, um, yeah, other people not sort of sharing in that same depth of, of just feeling frustrated, of like, why am I? Why am I the only one having to go through this? Or, you know, feeling like I was the only one experiencing pain. Um, yeah. I think, um, yeah, still having those um, community of, of um, believers to, to love and support you through that, um, yeah, was um, really important. And then, yeah, practising that, that gratitude and, and allowing my focus to be shifted. Yeah. Excellent. Would you thank Susan? <laughs> If you'd like to bring your own box of tissues for the next few weeks, feel free to do that. Um, I certainly will remember to bring mine. I hope that was helpful, um, and I hope every story um, that we hear in the weeks to come will help be helpful, real. So today, we're engaging with the million-dollar question, why, why, why? The question that you're probably thinking is, the question I'm not really going to answer, which is why is this or why did this happen to me? That's really the million dollar question we all wrestle with. I'll tell you right up the front, I have no answer for that. The Bible doesn't have an answer for that. That's why I don't have an answer for that, Stephen. And the, the person we're going to be looking at this morning as we journey through is Job. And God doesn't give Job an answer. And so if, if God doesn't give that answer, then who am I to try and answer that question? So I'm not going to. I'm not going to try and explain to you why horrible, terrible, painful things have happened in your life. I, I can't. I can't. So the, the why question that we will be looking at and engaging with is a more general one. Why is there pain and suffering in our world? And I think if we can think about that and we can engage with that, it will help us because it will broaden our understanding of why the world is the mess that it is, why our life is the mess that it is, why relationships don't work, why bad things happen to good people, why bad things happen at all. It will frame our experience in a, in a biblical worldview. 
So uh, five things the Bible does teach us to answer that question. Um, Why is there pain and suffering in the world? Well, firstly, because of original sin. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. Up until then, the world was perfect. God created a perfect world. He, He did not intend suffering, death, tragedy, loss, disappointment, heartache, broken relations. That wasn't God's original created order. But Genesis 3, Adam and Eve's rebellion and sin changed all of that. And the first description of pain starts to come into the Bible. And God talks about childbirth being painful, labor being painful and frustrating and disappointing. So, so this idea that something happened that was cataclysmic, that was irreversible in that sense. And God in his grace has reversed it and will reverse it. But in that moment... It was earth-shattering, literally. It broke, fractured, shattered like a perfect mirror in a thousand, thousand different ways. God's beauty and majesty and glory in creation. Paul in Romans 5 talks about death coming into the world through Adam's sin. So original sin. Uh, Secondly, the Bible talks a lot about there being an enemy, Satan. Uh, one who is opposed to God and the things of God and the goodness of God. and uh, He's the father of lies. He's a murderer. The, the, Jesus describes him as such. He's the accuser, Revelations tells us. He is antagonistic to all that's good and right and holy and pure and righteous and just. He's just a really, really bad dude. Um, and he wants nothing more than to distort and corrupt and twist everything good that God's created in the world. And we get a glimpse of that in Job chapter 1 and 2 where we are given the benefit of seeing this heavenly scene where Satan comes and, again, this is really out there, mind-blowing stuff, has a wager with God about Job and has to ask for permission, but is given permission to bring sickness, devastation, death, destruction to Job and his family. We see it in Luke chapter 13 where Jesus talks about a a woman that he's about to heal and she's been crippled and he says, this woman that has been bound by Satan. Um, So we see Satan's work in sickness and in disease. Um, Ephesians 6, Paul paints that amazing picture of spiritual warfare and he says that we don't wrestle primarily, principally with you know, flesh and blood, not with human agencies. Yes, we, we do contend, but our real enemy, our real battle is spiritual. It's with these heavenly forces, with Satan and his demons and the powers of darkness. That's where the real fight is taking place. So we, we can see that part of the, the Bible's answer to why is there pain and suffering and death and destruction in our world is Satan and demons and spiritual forces of darkness. The third thing that the Bible teaches everywhere, and this one you know, we, we see in the reality of our own lives, is our own sinfulness, our own poor choices and decisions that we make. And we experience the natural consequences of that. If you, if you lie and steal and cheat, and if you're violent and aggressive, then you reap the natural consequences of living that way. If you make bad financial decisions, you will end up in poverty. Uh, you read the book of Proverbs, it's written all about the realities of the dumb decisions and choices we make. If you play with fire, you'll get burned, etc. Proverbs has hundreds of those true statements of our own sinful choices, our defiance, our disobedience, our rebellion, our poor, unwise living. 
that brings pain and suffering and destruction. And Paul in Galatians 6 says, you know, we can't fool the laws of God. We can't fool God. What we sow, we will reap. If we sow to the flesh, then we're going to reap from the flesh death and destruction. But if we sow to the spirit, if we live God's way and we honor God and we seek to live in a way that um, accommodates and abides by and embraces God's principles for living, then life works. And we will see... The, the blessings of sowing to the Spirit, life and peace and joy. And 1 Timothy 6, Paul talks about how those people who've, even Christian people who've pursued financial gain, who've been greedy for money, who've pursued money, have ended up shipwrecking their faith, have ended up with misery and pain, I think he talks about, uh, and how the consequences of those unwise um, idolatry that we pursue other things other than Jesus and the impact that that has on us spiritually and emotionally, mentally and physically. And we, we know the reality of this. We, we see it. And the, and the next one, the same, the, the sinful uh, choices and decisions that other people make. And we experience the pain that comes through that, through unkindness, through people, you know, even just recently, you know, the family, and they still talk about this family, that the two families that lost their children just here in Oatlands and Dundas because of a drunk and drugged out driver. And the pain that that family has to carry for years and years and years because of somebody else's sinful choice. And we, we know, we know the reality of that. And we see that biblically in you know, the story of Sarah and Hagar where it was Sarah's idea to do this thing and yet Hagar experiences the pain of it and is cast out and in the desert and having to find God in the middle of the wilderness. We see it in Joseph's brothers, the well-known story where his brothers out of their own insecurities and their own jealousy treat him so badly and he can look back and say, yeah, that, what you did was evil and that brought so much pain and suffering to Joseph's life. Um, we, we see it in the sin of Achan, and we talked a little bit about that when we talked to, you know, in the book of Acts and how his greed brought death to the nation of Israel, to people who hadn't even got a clue that he had done that. No idea. They just go into battle and they suffer defeat and loss because of his sin. And we see it in the book of Acts, and we saw that several times, how the jealousy and insecurity of the religious leaders brought about persecution and suffering for the Christians. Um, we see it in the, in the attacks of Paul in the, in, the, uh, in the book of Acts and also in the epistles where he talks about um, people who are threatened because of their, their business interests, really, uh, because people were turning to Christ and not worshipping idols, and they caused this stir in the city because they were losing money. And another story when Paul casts out a demon from a slave girl, and the owner of the slave girl is really mad because now he can't make money out of her fortune-telling. And Paul gets beaten up because of that. So we see that. We see that in our own lives where people have done wrong by us and we felt the pain that comes as a result. The fifth one is probably the hardest one for us to get our head around. God. And yet, all through the Bible, and this is where sometimes in this series we will have to wrap our head around really difficult things. Things that we probably don't often like to think about and in particularly in the western context we don't do suffering very well 
I think we've bought into the lie that our life is meant to be happy, wealthy, successful, and just really, really good. That, particularly in the Christian sphere, we buy into that thinking that if I'm a Christian, if I'm a good Christian, then that's generally how the story ought to go. And so when bad, difficult, painful things happen, our theology leaves us wanting. But I don't know how we bought into that. Because the Bible actually teaches something radically different. And even when it comes to understanding God and suffering, I think our general tendency is not to want to attribute anything like that to God. We want God to be this cosmic, heavenly good guy who just does good by us, always. And so when we come to the Bible, it kind of really rocks our thinking, and that's a good thing. In the Bible, we see that God often uses pain and suffering and evil to accomplish his purpose. And I just talked about Joseph, and he, reflecting on his own life, said, you know the things that you meant for evil, God God used for good. It was his, his plan and purpose to bring me to Egypt, to set me up as prime minister, for, to save many lives. That's profound. I think of the story of Ruth and Naomi, these two women who were married, who had a good life, and they lose their husband. Naomi loses her son. You know, son. Ruth loses her husband. They're destitute. They've got no one to look after them. They come back in a desperate state. There's no food. And yet, God is using all of that pain in his plan to make Ruth in the line of Christ. Like That's just mind-blowing. Uh, think of the story of Samson and the Philistines. It's not up there, but in Judges chapter 14, uh, it records that God wanted to bring pain to the Philistines. And so he raised up Samson to do that with all the crazy stuff that Samson did, destroying their fields and wiping out a whole bunch of people and stuff. And that, that stuff really messes with our head. In the New Testament, because you might think, oh yeah, but that's the God of the Old Testament. Ah, that doesn't happen in the New Testament. Well, John chapter 9 kind of blows that out of the water, where there's a blind man, right? And you know the story where the disciples are like, oh yeah, they go into their Old Testament theology, good people, good things happen, bad people, bad things happen, you know, the Job theology. And they're asking Jesus, so who sinned? Was it this man or his parents that he's born blind? And what does Jesus say? Neither. This is what? For the glory of God. So what, this guy has been blind for his whole life, for this moment, for Jesus to heal him and glorify God? Like, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. But it's what the Bible teaches. That somehow in the mystery of pain and suffering, God is at work. God is at work doing his will. And per- I mean, Acts chapter 8, 1, Andrew preached on this last Sunday, how God, through persecution and suffering, gets the gospel out to fulfill Jesus' word, Acts 1.8. And we see that in the world today, where God often uses incredible persecution against the church to actually grow the church. The number of times when people have gone, and, and Kevin will be able to tell you numerous stories of people who've gone into tribal areas and died with no obvious gospel advance but in that moment somehow God uses that 
thing, that event, that horror, that pain, that, you know, uh, the story of Jim Elliot who went to, you know, South America and that's famous story. And then years later, I think it was his wife or somebody else comes and preaches and it, God used that death to somehow bring life. We see that. God's plan. And then obviously the more obvious way that we know God's relationship with evil and pain is judgment. And we see that time and time again in the Old Testament. When the children of Israel disobey, they defy, God raises up enemies to bring destruction. He causes drought, famine, all kinds of things because of their sinfulness. So great examples of that is Daniel 9. When Daniel is praying, saying, God, we're here in Babylon in exile. We know it's because of us. We, we blew it. We disobeyed you. We, we, we broke the covenant. And we, we, you're justified. Everything you've done is right. All the calamity, all the tragedy, all the pain we've experienced is right because we sinned. And so we see that uh, in, the, in the Old Testament. We see in Hebrews 12, the writer there says, you know, no discipline is pleasant. It's painful. It's painful. And who's doing the disciplining? It's our loving Heavenly Father. I want to you know, take you to a story that I've alluded to before where these two Old Testament passages, they're talking about the same event. And this is when David numbers the people of Israel and God brings, uh, I think it was a plague, to destroy um, the, the people. Interestingly, in 2 Samuel 24, 1 and, and verse 10, it describes it this way. Again, the anger of the Lord. So we see that the calamity of the 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 plague that was to come, God's involved. The Lord burned against Israel. So Israel had sinned and God was bringing judgment. So the sin of the people, the corporate body is involved in what is happening. And he, the Lord, incited David against the people of Israel saying, go and take a census of Israel and Judah. David was conscience stricken. This is verse 10. David was conscience stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned. So we see the Lord's involved, Israel's sin is a part of it. David recognizes his own sinful actions in doing what, according to that, the Lord had incited him to do. And then the same story in 1 Chronicles 21 records, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. It's the same story, the same event. So now do you understand why, if you come to me and say, Hillary, why did this happen to me? I would say to you, I have no idea. Because in this one story, all of those elements are working. But none of this is helpful in answering that question. Why did this happen to me? But you know what will help us when we don't know why? When we don't understand what God is doing? And this is the other why question I want to leave you with. Is... It's knowing why we can trust God. That's what's going to help you. It's knowing why you and I can trust God in the midst of it. Os Guinness, again, is very helpful, and he says this. If we, don't, if we do not know why we trust God in the beginning, then we will always need to know exactly what God is doing in order to trust him. Isn't that true? If we say, God, if you just explain to me, if you just help me understand, if you just help me make sense of this, then I'll trust you. If on the other hand, we do know why we trust God, we will be able to trust him in situations where we do not understand what he is doing. 
I think that's really, really helpful. You might never know why such and such has happened to you. But my question would be, do you know why you can trust God when you have no idea why this is happening to you? When you have no idea what God's doing here. When you have no idea, is this Satan? Is this God? Is it my sin? Is it judgment? When you have no idea, do you know why you can trust God? That's the question. How will you answer that? What would you say? The Bible's answer to that, that why question, why we can trust God is, there's many, but one that we're going to look at today is because he's sovereign. Because he's sovereign. He's in control of everything. He's in control of the brokenness in our world, every natural disaster, every bushfire, every flood, everything that happens that we go, why God? He's, he's in control. He, he's, he's got it. He's got the brokenness in his hands. He's sovereign over every evil and all demonic powers. Satan can only go as far as God decrees. We see that in Job. He's not a free agent. He's not, he doesn't exist outside of God's sovereign control. It's not like there's a yin and a yang and there's these two equal and opposite forces that are battling. There's no the, the, the force of the Jedi and the force of the dark side when it comes to God. No, God is over it all. He's in control of our sinful choices and the sinful choices of others. He's in control of everything. And it's at this point that our reason leaves us because we can't wrap our head around that. But throughout the, the Old and the New Testament, the people of God believed that God was in control of all things and the source of both, hear this, good and evil. It just never explains how that can be. I'll give you some scriptural evidence. Job 2.10 says this, you are talking like a, a foolish, and you know, when he's, Job is talking to his wife, he doesn't mean it in a, in a condescending way. He's actually making a moral statement. When he says foolish, he doesn't mean stupid or dumb. He means ungodly. You are talking like an ungodly woman, Job says to his wife. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? It comes from the same hand. Isaiah 45 is even more profound. This is God speaking. I form the light and create darkness. Like what? I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. Now, I don't see that scripture on too many people's fridges when I visit their homes. I don't even know how many of you would have ever read that scripture. And have thought about that. Lamentations 3, 37 to 39. We read the good bits of God's faithfulness every morning. And his blessings and stuff. And then this is also there. Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Why should the living complain when punished for their sins? Or 2 Thessalonians, this, this one, I, I can't even get my head around this one. For this reason, God sends them a powerful, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And there's Old Testament stories where God sends lying spirits to deceive King Ahab, I think it is, sends him off to battle so he gets killed. <laughs> 
Now, some of this stuff might really trouble you, and it, it ought to, because you know, it really messes with our theology, doesn't it? It really does. It's not how we understand God to be. But for the, the people of God in the Bible, this is the thing, right? This wasn't bad news. They actually saw it as good news. I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm still coming to terms with it. For them, the, the fact that God was sovereign over everything, it was a, a, a reassuring thing. It was good news. Why? Because it means that God can use evil to fulfill his plans and purposes. If he's not, he's got to stand by and, and just kind of watch it and go, I'm helpless, I can't do anything about this. But the God of the Bible can. And that's what gave them great assurance. That's why they prayed. Because they knew God could do something, even in the midst of these horrible circumstances. Because he is sovereign, he's in control of it. It was good news because he can bring good out of every situation. Our favorite verse for many of you is Romans 8.28. How can God do that if he's not actually sovereign? That's why it's good news. And the greatest news is Revelation 21.4 says that one day God will say enough. Enough. It's over. It ends here. And that is great comfort for us. Wonderful comfort for us. The question is, I'm going to try and wrap up real quick. I told you we would go a bit longer. Can we trust God when we don't understand what he's doing? Can we come to God with surrender and childlike faith? And I, got a, and I, I wanted to end with some images because, you know, theology is great. Doctrine is great and helps you understand. But I want you to walk away with revelation in your heart. And so I've got some images I want you to get your head around. Like first is this picture. Can we, can we have this attitude when, we, when it doesn't make sense? Can we, can we hold on to the assurance that God's in control even if it feels like our world is spinning out of control? That's the essence of, of faith. That's the essence of the Christian experience. Um, Os Guinness again says this, to suffer is one thing. To suffer without meaning is another. But to suffer and choose not to press for any meaning is worst of all. Yet that is the suicidal mission that faith's suspension of just judgment seems to involve. It is to say, Father, I do not understand you in this situation, but I understand why I trust you anyway. Therefore, I can trust that you understand even though I don't. That's the essence of having God as our Father. So, as I wrap up, I want to ground this with some practical things that I hope will help you. From Job's story, Job's life. Five observations from his life that will help us in our pain. Number one, it's okay to wrestle with questions. And Susan alluded to that. You read the book of Job, it's full of questions. Full of wrestle. Full of doubt. Full of sometimes anger and hurt and disappointment. And pouring out real, raw feelings before God. It's okay. God's okay with that. You read Psalms. There's so many Psalms of them crying out, trying to make sense of their reality, and they can't, but they're bringing their, their hurt, their anger, their disappointment, their pain to God. To God. Secondly, maintain a humble and reverent attitude. And again, Susan alluded to that, where we see in Job, Job throughout was so careful to guard his words. 
Interestingly, that's what he's commended for throughout the book of Job. In Job chapter 1, verse 22, 2, 10, and even right at the end, God commends him that he didn't speak disrespectfully against God. Unlike Job's friends, where God says, verse 7 and 8 of chapter 42, they spoke wrongly about me. And throughout the Bible, we see this image you know, of a potter and a clay. And the question is always asked, can the clay really say to the potter, what the heck are you doing? Who do you think you are? And that is the essence of rebellion against God. To push against him and say, how dare you? How dare you? Who do you think you are to do that to me? Job never comes to that place. He gets pretty close, but he's humble and reverent even as he's wrestling with God. Thirdly, beware of a sense of entitlement. Again, Susan alluded to that. When we've been Christians and we've been doing all the right things, we think God owes us. And Job talks about that in chapter 30 and chapter 31, if you want to read his own wrestle. He goes, man, I've been so blameless. If I did this and if I did that, if I beat up my servants, if I rip people off, then I deserve everything that you give me, God. I'll take it. But I haven't done any of that. I've been a moral, upstanding, good and godly person. So you, he never says, so you owe me. He stops short of that, but he's wrestling with that. We often feel that, God, you owe me. But you know what Job teaches us? God doesn't owe us anything. We owe him everything. Number four, recognize our limitations as finite humans. That's the journey Job goes on. In Job chapter 40, verses 1 to 14, because of time, I don't have time to read them. But it's the end, right, where Job, God just comes and flexes his muscles and says, Job, come on, do you know who you are? You're just a puny, finite human. And I'm infinite. I'm omniscient. I'm omnipotent, which are all big theological words that just says God says I'm the boss. I'm in control of everything. I know everything. You know nothing. See, you know, often when we come to God and we say, God, you owe me an explanation. Even if God were to give you one, you would have no idea. You would not be able to figure out one iota of what God is trying to tell you. Uh, again, a visual illustration. Sometimes we see our lives and we see this. We go, okay, bang, this has happened, and we see the chain reaction. Right? That's pretty much all we see. You know what God sees? This is what God sees. Wow. That's just one minute of it. That's what God sees. 
So you come to God and say, God, explain that to me. And God goes, really? That's Job's experience with God. And he goes, okay, God, I rest my case. I'll live with my three dominoes and I'll trust that you know what's going on. That's why I can believe. That's why I can trust you when my world just seems crazy. Last principle from Job's life, number five, seek God, not answers. Seek God, not answers. You know, when we're going through pain, what we think we, we want, or what we not that think we want, what we want is answers. But what we really need is God's presence. That's what we need. We really just need our daddy's arms to hold us and go, it's going to be okay. I've got you. What we need is the assurance that he is in control. What we need is the confidence that he knows what he's doing. What we need is the security of resting in our father's loving care. That's what we need, not answers. That's what we need most. And see, we have the benefit of living on the other side of the cross, which is the greatest demonstration of God being able to take ultimate evil, like the, the evil that the cross was. I mean, we can't even get our head around the perfect son of God being crucified and killed by humans. The ultimate evil that ever existed, God can take that and bring the greatest good that humanity has ever known. So why do we doubt that he can do that with our lives? God can handle the evil and the pain in your life and do amazing things through it. So I'd like the band to come up. And I want to leave you with just these images. You know, one is of the cross. Because that's what helps us. When we, when we don't know where to turn, when we don't know where to look, when we need the presence of God, not answers, it's, it's remembering the cross. And, and read again Acts chapter 2 where Peter talks about how the events of the cross were, were preordained and planned by God before the creation of the world. And yet humans are responsible for their part in it, the evil that they played. And Peter says, you crucified the Son of God. And through that, God has raised him and now poured out the Spirit that now blessing has come to Jew and Gentile. And this gospel is going to go to the ends of the earth and bring blessing to you and me here today in Parramatta because of the greatest evil that ever happened in the history of the world. That's what will give us the assurance that God's got us. God's got this. God's in control. God's good. God's with me because of Jesus. So an old Sunday school song says, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. And so I want to leave you with this last image. I know we've gone a little bit over than the time I promised, but I want you to sit in God's presence, not thinking about all the theology and all the doctrine. Just enjoy for a moment just God's presence. Let me put the next picture up. That's you. That's me. Look at that image. Close your eyes. But the band's going to just sing these familiar songs. You can sing if you want. If you want to stand and worship, you can do that. But Father, I just invite you to come. I know you've been here throughout this whole service. 
And I pray now, Lord, would you manifest your presence? Would you make your presence so real so that when we leave here, we can know that you are for us, that you are with us, that you are good, and that your love is real. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Because he lives, oh, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, thank you, Jesus. Oh, fear is gone because I know he holds the future and life. It's worth. of the Father and the presence of His deep and rich Holy Spirit be with you. May His blessing rest on you and His presence overwhelm you as you go into this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you survived week one. Only four to go. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church Podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.